Hi, this is Ben Lola back to the Bible Canada. Today, Dr. Neufeld will help us understand the God of truth and righteousness as we continue our current series, This is Our God. So let's listen in as we go back to the Bible. Lying is a part of daily life. Some time ago, Psychology Today published a report entitled The Real Truth About Lying. Here are some of the things that they reported. They discovered that when challenged to be entirely truthful for three to four weeks, no one actually succeeded. Dr. Bella DiPaolo commented, Everyday lies are really a part of the fabric of social life. While some lies damage relationships and destroy trust, other fibs fulfill important interpersonal functions like smoothing over awkward situations or protecting fragile egos. Now, here's what her research found. Lying in social interactions is quite common. Lying on the phone is more common than face-to-face. Most lies, she said, are never discovered. Only one-tenth of lies she thought were exaggerations, while about 60% were outright deceptions. Furthermore, among those surveyed, about 70% of liars say they would tell their lies again. Well, that's, of course, if they are to be believed. And the problem, at least as I see it, with, with lying to smooth over feelings is that in the long haul, you can never tell whether you're finding out how people really feel. We hide the truth from others, and others hide the truth from us, and none of us has any idea of what's really going on, because in the end, no one is telling anyone the truth. And what they say when we're not around is something that we're never going to know. See, Augustine said, When regard for truth has been broken down or even slightly weakened, all things remain doubtful. And the atheist Friedrich Nietzsche said, What upsets me is not that you lied to me, but that from now on I can no longer believe you. I think Nietzsche put his finger on the great problem with lying. The old Puritans used to say that the greatest problem with an adulterer is not the adultery itself, although, you know, that's a problem, but the greatest problem is the lie. In order to cover up the adultery, lies must be added to lies until the person can never be trusted. After all, the Puritans said, Satan is not called the father of adulteries, but rather the father of lies. And that's the reason why adultery in marriage is particularly difficult to heal. How can the innocent party ever know they can trust their spouse again? Their spouse may want to give assurances, but what are those assurances actually worth? Who can tell? See, no one knows. When a culture degenerates, lies become all the more frequent. Soon everything and everyone is mistrusted. Politicians are in it for themselves, we say, regardless of what they promise. Men and women don't trust each other. Truth claims are now held in suspicion. Authority is always challenged because you can't trust what people will say. And in the end, we believe no one and we believe nothing. Soon we even believe that truth itself does not exist. See, all lies have their origin in Satan. Jesus in John 8:44 said of Satan, he has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Satan lied to Eve when he asked, did God really say, and don't you know that God is deceiving you, keeping you from the knowledge of good and evil and keeping you from becoming a God in your own right? It's clear then that lying is essential to the nature of Satan. He lies as an expression of who he is in essence, and he teaches the human race to lie to their own ruin. So what's the solution? 
In a world where one lie is told after the other and we no longer know whom or what to believe, isn't it good to know that there is one being who not only does not lie, but he cannot lie? When in this series we spoke of God's omnipotence or his power to do all that he wills, we also said that there are some things that God cannot do. God cannot sin. God cannot act unrighteously. Indeed, for our purposes today, we will emphasize that it is not possible for God to lie. And because God cannot change, he changelessly remains the God of truth. Jeremiah 10 verse 10 says, the Lord is the true God. And in John 17 verse 3, Jesus said, and this is eternal life, that they may know you the only true God. Now, clearly those verses might mean no more than that the God of the Bible is the authentic God. But consider 1 John 5 verse 20. And and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, that is, his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Truth and God go hand in hand. When God speaks, not only does his word accomplish all that he intends, but when God speaks, as Proverbs 30 verse 5 says, every word of God proves true. Now, at this point, we need to make a distinction. For some of us, especially when we think about, you know, the U.S. court dramas we see on television, we hear that a witness must tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. The idea behind the whole truth is the idea that when someone leaves out essential aspects of what they have seen, they might be telling the truth, but that may leave out or distort our picture and lead us away from the truth. But as so many of us know, the Bible does not tell us the whole truth about everything. Take the issue of creation. Genesis 1.1 tells us, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That is a grand statement, and it also leaves a lot unsaid. How exactly did God create the faraway planet of Alpha Centauri? Did he create it before or after the earth? You know, if you listen to my series on Genesis 1 to 11, I made the point that when Genesis tells us, now the earth was formless and void, the text does not tell us how long it was so, or under what kind of conditions it was so, and and, and so forth. See, while everything in Genesis 1 is true, and not one word of it is a lie, for those words come from the mouth of God, and yet they do not tell us the whole truth. Deuteronomy 29 verse 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children. That means that the God who is truth has not told us the whole truth. But at this point, it's important to understand the difference between truth and the distortion of truth. Let me suggest an interesting analogy. The story is told of a boss who was trying to fire one of his employees whom he didn't like. So he decided to keep a log that would serve as grounds for dismissal. And one day he entered the following line. Peter showed up for work today and he was sober. We were all grateful. Now, Peter had never been drunk. And even though the line in the log was technically true, it created the impression that Peter often showed up drunk. But here we need to define what we mean by a lie. A lie is a deliberate attempt to deceive. Consider the following scenario. An adulterous man has an adulterous relationship with his female colleague at work. One day he comes home very late and his wife asks him why he's late. And he states that work is piling up and and he needed to stay late. Now, that statement might have been true. 
But what he didn't tell her is that work was piling up and he needed to stay late, but instead of attending to the work, he and his female colleague did nothing about the work, but rather conducted an illicit affair. That man might have technically told the truth, but the truth he told, or the portion of the truth he told, was so told in a deliberate attempt to deceive. Please understand that Titus 1 verse 2 tells us that God cannot lie. He may withhold from us certain things he knows, such as the date of Christ's return, but he does not withhold truth from us in an attempt to deceive or distort the truth. All of God's dealings with us are in integrity. What he has revealed of himself and of his dealings are those things that are designed to give us an accurate picture of who he is and what he entails. Now, this knowledge that God does not deceive us leads to an assurance that God is faithful. Numbers 23 verse 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Notice here how the idea of truthfulness is paired with the idea of consistency. God, who tells us the truth of his future plans, carries out those plans in the very way in which he has revealed them. God can be relied upon. When he tells us that Christ will return and that he has set a date for that return, he may, as Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, keep certain things within his secret counsel. But what he has revealed about the second coming of Jesus is both true and certain. Furthermore, it is not misleading. And this, of course, is also the case with all of the future promises of God. Although we do not know all the details of our future life, which God has prepared for us in eternity, we do know that what he has prepared is for his glory and for our long-term good and for our long-term pleasure. Yes, he has withheld some of what he has prepared for us, but he did so in a way that would never deceive us. God not only does not deceive, he cannot do so. In the world at large, we all know the reality of deception and lies. Everyone lies, even ourselves at some point in time. But this introduction is giving us a great awareness of how the human propensity to lie and deceive stands in stark contrast to our God whose very nature is truth. When we come back, Dr. Neufeld will help us understand how God's character is also one of righteousness. Thanks so much for listening today. You know, if you've enjoyed listening to our series on the attributes of God so far, then don't forget to pick up your copy of these great teachings on CD. Available for a very special price this month of only $18, which includes shipping and handling. So you can listen and re-listen to Dr. Neufeld as he covers so many critical aspects of the study of God's nature and character. It's so important for us to rightly understand who God is as revealed in His perfect Word. So be sure to get your copy of this series, This Is Our God, on CD today. Just call us at 1-800-663-2425 or go to backtothebible.ca. Now let's go back to the Bible with Dr. John Newfeld. We have noted that God is truth, and now we pair to this the reality that God is also righteous. 
In English, the word righteousness and the word justice are different words, but in the Greek language, which is the language of our New Testament, those two words come from the same root. Well, that's also true of the Hebrew language, the language of the Old Testament. And so I've decided to combine two realities in God. First, what he says is always true, for he cannot lie, and then what he does is always right or is in accordance with his justice. In Genesis 18, Abraham is involved in a dialogue with God regarding Sodom and Gomorrah. God has revealed to Abraham this truth, that he intends to rain down burning sulfur on those two cities, and that he intends to destroy not just the cities themselves, but also everyone who's in them. Abraham is clearly shocked. He acknowledges that these two cities are indeed overwhelmingly wicked and that justice must be meted out. But what if there are 50 righteous people in those two cities? If that's so, and God intends to wipe out the cities, would God then destroy righteous people along with the wicked? Let me quote from Genesis 18, verse 25, which are the words of Abraham. Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? Now, here's the problem with that passage. Is justice a standard to which God must give an account, or is God the standard for what is just? You see, if God must give an account to justice, then it would seem that justice and not God is ultimate. This is no different than the constant complaint that many people voice to God. God, this is unfair, we say. God, how can such a thing be allowed to pass? And when we say that, it's as if we would lecture God because we think we have a clearer vision of justice and righteousness than God does. And if that's so, then must God serve justice? In response, a great many Bible teachers have argued that right or righteousness and justice is whatever conforms to the moral character of God. Think of it this way. In our culture, there are those who argue that it is an act of infamy or of horrifying unrighteousness that allows citizens in this land to kill their unborn children in the womb. And others argue that justice consists in a woman's right to choose. Now hear me. If all that justice is is the personal preference of society, then the word means nothing at all. You see, it does no good to say that justice ought to conform to the morality of a culture. In that case, it would have been completely just to kill the Jews in Nazi Germany, for that culture thought that purity of the Aryan race was the highest good. If justice means no more than what we conceive of it to be, then justice or righteousness doesn't exist. All that exists is a snapshot of what a culture happens to believe in one point in time, which will change at another point of time. And in that case, the morality of Sodom and Gomorrah would be just fine. After all, that was their social norm. But notice how Abraham didn't accept that. When he asked about 50 righteous people, he was asking about 50 just people, 50 people who could not be charged with unrighteousness. Abraham accepted that there must be some kind of a universal standard. And here's a little secret. All of us accept some objective standard of righteousness. You know, I remember being amused sitting in a coffee shop and reading a book and listening to a conversation that was happening right beside me. 
A woman was telling a man that she was inclusive in her thinking and she made no judgment of any form around sexual behavior and social morality. And then she added, I just can't stand bigoted people. Apparently, she was quite comfortable in making judgmental statements after all. Apparently, she was comfortable in adhering to some universal principle which was always just. And when we make objective statements about justice and righteousness, what standard can we appeal to? See, it makes no sense to say, I'm adhering to societal norms because all societies condemn other societies on the basis of some standard that they claim is higher than both societies. See, when North Americans condemn Islamic dictatorship for not respecting the human rights of the individual, we are saying that there really is a standard of righteousness which is greater than both societies. That's why only God can ever or will ever be the definition of what is right and just. Whatever conforms to God's character is what is right, and whatever is at odds to his character and attributes is wicked. See, the reason lying is wrong is because God is truth. Lying is at odds with the perfections of God, and everything that is at odds with the perfections of God is a moral outrage. Good is what God is, and because of that, righteousness and justice refers to that which is in the nature of God. Isaiah 45 verse 19 says, I, the Lord, speak the truth and declare what is right. Another way of saying that is to say, right is whatever God says is right. And just in case you're asking yourself, just who does God think he is? The answer is that God thinks he's God. And the only reason why lying and murder and theft and adultery and idolatry are wrong is that these things are in violation to his nature and his perfections and the essence of God. All that violates God's essence is an outrage, a great moral evil. God not only created us in his image, he created us as an external expression of his internal beauty. And whenever we rebel against that, we become guilty and vile. I know what someone will say. So you're saying that if God were other than he is, then maybe lying and murder would be okay. And the answer to that is always the same. God cannot be other than he is. God cannot change. God cannot be the being of our fertile and idolatrous imaginations. God is and forever will be exactly the God that is. I'm reminded of Paul's words in Romans 9, 20 to 21. But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to the molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay? We know the answer. The potter has absolute rights over the clay. It's righteous that he should have the right over the clay. Or think of what God said to Job in Job 40 verse 2. Shall the fault finder contend with the Almighty? Or consider God's words in Job 40 verse 5. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? And that brings me back to the conversation between Abraham and God over the future of Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm sure that the only reason Abraham could ask God whether the judge of the earth would do what is right is that Abraham knew the nature and the character of his God. What he was saying was this, will not God act consistently with his character? And of course, we know the answer. 
I have found that there can be no joy or peace in our lives until we begin to settle the matter that He is God and we are not. When I am angry with God, it's because I have not found joy in God and have substituted the glory of God with the idols of my imagination. The righteous God is loving enough to always tell me the truth without exaggeration or in an attempt to appease my hurt feelings. He tells me that he knows accurately and completely that I sin and that he is altogether righteous. It is not he who has erred in his ways I have. And yet... In wondrous love, God has taken the initiative to reconcile himself to me through the cross of his Son. The fact that God is both true and righteous should lead me to say with Moses in Deuteronomy 32 verse 4, The rock, his work is perfect, and all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. And this can allow me to say with David in Psalm 19 verse 8, The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. John, I really enjoyed your message today. It it gave me a good sense of understanding and respect to who God is. But can I ask you this question? What would you counsel someone who comes to you and says, John, God has just been so unfair to me? Yeah, I think most of the time when people say that, it's because they're suffering. You know, it might be an illness or the loss of someone that they've loved. and, And I think the first response is always to acknowledge the reality of their suffering. We simply I uh, don't want to uh, pretend that that's not an issue. And so often when those questions are raised, they're not really theological questions, but they're deep, emotional, heartfelt hurt that a person is dealing with. But I think once acknowledging that, one can also help them to understand that the God who exists is a God who loves his children and will never treat us in an unjust fashion. Were it not for his goodness, he would not have allowed this to transpire that has. We don't always know the answer to all these things, but we do know this. We know the character and the nature of our God, and we can content ourselves in that. Today, we've surveyed such an important aspect of God's nature, his truth and righteousness. While our culture no longer recognizes an objective moral standard, we can know and be confident that God is the universal, unchanging standard of truth. He alone defines the basis of right and wrong. And again, we're reminded of this sobering fact that God is God and we are not. I hope that we can take encouragement from this study, but also humble ourselves before Him. Let's continue to learn from his ways and become people of truth in all that we say and do. Stay tuned for our program tomorrow as we look at God's wisdom and knowledge in the continuation of our series, This Is Our God. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. At Back to the Bible Canada, we're thankful every day for this ministry, for the opportunity to bless people near and far, and most of all, to God, who is the source of all good gifts. Everything we are is centered around leading people forward in their walk with Jesus as we engage them in God's Word and its life-changing power. If you've been encouraged or challenged by anything you've heard on this program, Would you take a few minutes and share this with us? We would love to hear from you. And as well, your questions and feedback are always appreciated. Just give us a call at 1-800-663-2425 
or send us an email at info at backtothebible.ca. And if you feel led to be part of the mission of Back to the Bible Canada, please consider how you can make a difference through a financial gift of any amount. Either a one-time gift or join our monthly partner campaign and help keep us on the air month after month. For all the info you need, see our website at backtothebible.ca or call us at 1-800-663-2425. That's 1-800-663-2425.